0: was a cocaine dealer, and um, he has some serious problems. And then I went to his supplier to ask him to take that from him, and which I did. So I became a cocaine dealer. I shortly, very quickly after that, stopped selling cars and was mainly and slowly only dealing cocaine and drugs, which I did for quite a few years. What had happened was I had uh, planned a trip um, to Maui to go surfing. And uh, I did. And uh, when I got there, it was a pretty good size swell there. I had uh, told my friend I wanted him to go out with me, but he wouldn't. And he was more avid of a surfer than me, and he still wasn't going to go out that day. But I did. And um, the first wave I caught, somebody cut me off, and I wind up getting thrown over the falls and being caught under for a long time. I was um, in trouble. Um, and I was trying to get back out, but I couldn't. It was throwing me into the rocks, it seemed like, and so I was scared. I did not know God or have any relationship whatsoever, but I did say, Lord, if you're for real, please save my life. If you do, I promise I'll quit dealing drugs. Um, Being a car salesman, I was trying to make a deal as I was trying to save my life. Obviously, I couldn't save my life. That's why I was asking him to do it for me. Well, he did come through for me. He did slow the waves down. I was able to get back out. I was able to catch a wave in. Actually, it was a, after that was a good day, I never told my friend what happened. Actually never told anybody what happened that, that time. So then I came home from that trip, and um, there were some suspicious guys down the street, but I didn't really think anything of it. Um, those suspicious guys were at my door as I got in the house I shut the door and started unpacking and there was a knock at the door. I went to the front door and there was two huge guys with ski masks on. And um, so I told them to hit the road and they busted the door down with an ax and so they were coming in after me very quickly. And uh, I was able to run out my hallway and jump off of my balcony uh, and jump off the deck and I I was able to survive that and get away. And then uh, I called my brother to come and help me because I was too scared or paranoid to go back in the house. They were left, they went, and they were gone. So uh, about a week later, um, I, my friend called me to go meet him at the Wind Sea in Dana Point for a couple drinks with some friends, and, um, and I obliged. I went with them, And then we were going to go back to our place in South Laguna. And um, what had happened is a, um, a situation with a car accident. The car accident involved two deaths, and I was responsible for them. So two people lost their lives in the car accident. I um, was uh, unconscious. I woke up at Mission Vale Hospital the next morning with my parents giving me the newspaper. And um, from there, I realized that I was gonna be going to prison for quite a while. And uh, when I got to Orange County Jail, um, I was gonna take my life. I figured it was a good time to check out. I'm, I'm not gonna be able to do this time. And I don't want to be, you know, held responsible for these two lives, even though it was my fault. And so I would have to live with it. And um, I just didn't feel like carrying on any farther. And then uh, one morning I came back from Chow, and there was a a Bible there. And so I'm not sure who put it there, but it was there. And I started to read it. So the suicide thoughts started to go away. There was a peace that I started to feel. And so I went to church, the uh, chapel over at Santa Ana Jail. And I asked the... Uh, chaplain what I needed to do to understand the Bible. And he said, do you know Jesus Christ, Richard? And I said, no. He said, do you want to know him? I said, yes. So I asked Christ into my heart. And from that point forward, I started to go to church as often as I could, pray as often as I could, and read the Bible as often as I could. And um, it was a good thing, because when I left Orange County Jail, I was on my way to state prison. And um, there they put me on a maximum security yard. I'm not sure why, but they did. And... um, My bunkie, I think, was a Bible worshiper or something, because he he told me, stop reading the Bible, stop praying, and I didn't listen to him. Well, um, what had happened was I came back from lunch one day, getting ready to go back into my cell, and the guards told me to go get my stuff out of my locker, get my stuff, and sit on the bench. And So I sat on the bench, and they said, Richard, we're going to move you off this yard today. We're going to put you on lower security. There's a kite on the yard that you're a narc, and so we're going to preserve your life right now. So I said, okay, great. So I went over to the two yard, which is a lower security. Everything worked out, was working out good there. And then um, when I was waiting to go for an unlock one time to go onto the yard, they have a yard out there. um, These three shot callers came, one of each nationality. And they told me that we want you to get out of our dorm and leave. I knew right then if I admitted what they were saying, they were saying I was a narc, even though that wasn't true, that I would be going to protective custody from that point forward that I would not be able to see anybody. It would just be protective custody, saving my life. So what I did, as I asked him to excuse myself for a second, I went to the restroom. It sounds funny, but that's what I did. And I prayed there. I said, Lord, I know you're for real. I know you're here. I know that your plans for me are good. It says, don't worry about what you're going to say, but at that very hour, I'll give you the words. So I went back out to the men. I said, look, you don't know who I am, and you don't know where I came from. You know nothing about me. I know nothing about you. But to prove my point in the situation, let's just go ahead and take care of business right now. Let's go and handle our business right here. Well, from that point forward, they told me that you can stay, and they never hassled me again. And it was squashed from that point forward. And, um, and I began to realize that if you want to follow Christ and you walk the walk and you talk the talk, then people will respect you. Because I realize it's no different in prison than it is out here. If you follow Christ regardless of what people think or what they feel about you. They may not believe the same things you believe but they will honor and respect you and when they have problems which when I was there, a lot of people had problems all the time they would come to me for prayer and i pray for them. So um, I learned very quickly that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you'll ever ask or think and he's not going to withhold one good thing from those that love him that walk up rightly. And um, I'm gonna live a testimony of that with a beautiful wife and kids at home and a business. Everything that could have gone right has gone right ever since that point. Not that everything's perfect, but he is. And thank you for letting me share my testimony.
1: Seeing Richard today with his family, the way he deals with his wife, his kids, I that man that went to prison is dead. And God has raised up to new life a new man. And that's what he does in us. And that's why I love this time of of our stories. Because we see the word alive in us and active. So praise God for you, Richard. And I want to thank you for sharing that. All right. Continuing on in 1 John. The scripture reading today is from 1 John starting at chapter 3, verse 24. And we're going to start at... uh, The second sentence in that, so 24b. 1 John chapter 3, 24b. Now in your Bibles you won't find a 24b, but it's just a way to designate the split in the verse. All right. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and God, we just pray that we'd handle it, I'd handle it faithfully tonight. Lord, we ask that uh, you'd bless this time, and let my words be glorifying to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, let's see, it's been about two and a half years now since we bought our house in Orange, and uh, it was the first house we ever purchased, so... Um, Going through the house buying process is a, a learning experience altogether. Going through a short sale process is another learning curve. And moving into a house that had oh, like 14, some peop- 14 people or so living in it, mo- a different family in every room is an even bigger chore. So we moved in this house and and, uh, when we first got possession of it, uh, we still had some issues with the escrow and things. We were told it's ours, but then we were told maybe it's not ours and so on. But anyway, I had the keys right away, so I got in there and uh, I started cleaning up the place. And we had two weeks to get it ready to move into, and it was a mess. It was such a mess. Uh, Things didn't work right. Our our sink drain actually just was draining underneath the house, so there was all this food rotting under there, and there was fungus, weird funguses, fungi, growing in different places. We had just so many problems. I ended up uh, having to bust out a wall and just change things up. But I remember looking at this task just being, it was a daunting task. Because it wasn't just that I had two weeks, but it was right at Christmas time. We took possession of the house on, I think it was December 23rd or 24th. And so we had Christmas time. I had a Christmas Eve service to, to preach at and prep for. Uh, we had a youth all-nighter uh, for New Year's Eve. And it was just like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to get this done. Well, I was amazed. Helpers showed up. People just started showing up. And some of you showed up and just started helping out. People would come up and say, hey, I've got two hours. What can I do? I'm like, uh, here, scrape the ceiling. Uh, sweep this floor. Oh, you want to paint? Sand a wall. And it was just amazing. Uh, I remember Ryan Bonilla showed up with all of his tools. He put his sign out in front of my house and just went to work. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> and it was such a blessing to have all that help. It made all the difference in the world because it took a house that was really unlivable and made it livable in that two weeks' time. You know, God has done something like that with us. He has given us a helper. The, here in 1 John, at the very beginning, it says that God has given us his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 24b. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You and I who have given our lives over to Jesus Christ, who have been born again, have not been born again with no help. God has granted it to us, his spirit. And that spirit has, it takes up residence within our lives and begins to help us clean house. But let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a minute. And I hope you don't mind deviating a little bit from 1 John just today to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because I think a lot of times people aren't sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is uh, some sort of essence or power. At least that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses call the Holy Spirit. It's just the force of God or his power. Some people think the Holy Spirit is the ghost of Jesus, which is also not accurate at all. The Holy Spirit is a person. In fact, he is the third person of Jesus Christ. Or the, the, the Trinity. Excuse me. Now I'm spitting heresy. <laughs> so, tonight is going well. So, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And he is your helper and my helper. Don't forget that. Listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit stands in for him while he's gone. er, John chapter 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus tells the apostles, including John who's there, who writes this gospel, that I'm going away, but don't worry. I'm not leaving you like an orphan. I'm going to come back for you, and I'm giving you a helper. And the good thing for you is if I don't go away, you won't get the helper, so you need the help. Trust me, I'm looking at this. You need the help. And so Jesus promises his Holy Spirit when he leaves. John chapter 14, verse 16 says that the Holy Spirit is given to us For helping, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit doesn't take possession of people, but He takes up residence along with you helping you to discern truth from error. Going on in John chapter 16, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit's there to help us to discern truth and understand truth and to know truth so that we don't fall for falsehood anymore. In Jeremiah 31, God promises through the prophet Jeremiah a new covenant. That's where the new covenant first is mentioned. And, And of course, Jesus, when he's at the Lord's, at his table the night before his death, He he announces to the disciples, raising up the glass. He says, this is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. And part of that new covenant is the law will no longer be something that we're a slave to, but God's law will be upon our hearts and in us. There will actually be a desire now to do what pleases God. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, can you imagine for a moment if... um, all of my friends showed up to help me out in my house and I just started yelling at them or kicking them out or, or when, when they're doing something, I come by just after they sweep and I kick over their dustpan. Can, can you imagine? I, I'm sure if you were there helping me, you wouldn't stay for long. You'd be out of there. Well, sadly, some Christians do the very same thing with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So it's actually possible for us as Christians, as believers, to begin to grieve God's Holy Spirit. And how do we do it? By sinning by rejecting the truth in us, by rejecting the truth of God's Holy Spirit, and sinning. We're going to talk more in a little bit about how God's Holy Spirit helps us to become overcomers. But I want you to realize that there are many Christians who say, okay, I'm going to make a profession for Christ, or I'm going to get baptized. And then slowly you start to see them decline and go back into worldly activities. Now from a from a physical standpoint, we look at it and go, oh, well, I wonder if they're really saved. or And we start asking questions like that and whatnot. Well, I don't know. But here's what I do know. If you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you will begin to deceive yourself more and more and harden your heart towards it. And then you're going to end up in trouble like you never were before. Because you know the truth, yet you're rejecting it. And John talks about this. Remember, he says that, if you claim to be in the light, you've got to walk in the light. Because those who claim to be in the light, yet walk in darkness, are not of the light. And so as we get into this passage here in 1 John, he starts it out, and the reason why we read 24b is because last week I kind of had to glance through it and I really wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit and him being a helper in us because he says that this is one of the products that we know, not only the the uh, moral standard by which we live by, but also the fact that God has given us His Spirit, we know that He abides in us. We know that He's taken up His residence in us. So John begins to say, "Beloved, dear loved ones, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. See whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world." In Ephesus. They were dealing with a problem. It was the very beginning of Gnosticism. And they were beginning to have these issues where they were denying the physical uh, nature of Jesus Christ. They were starting to, to spread rumors that, and, and false doctrine that, that G, uh, the Messiah or Christ was actually separate from Jesus. And Christ kind of possessed Jesus for a time and then Jesus died, but Christ never did. And so they started to start all these heresies and doctrines, and John is nipping it in the bud, and he gives them a little creed here so that they know. Uh, Here's a confession to make. Here's how you can know that you are not in error but are right. Test the spirits. Here's the test. Did Jesus Christ come in the body? Um, Because the fact is is that Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's, that's the confession. And so John gives them this test to do, and he says, do this. Now, understand, we we don't we might not necessarily be in the same situation as them, but we can certainly use the same test because we can say, well, do they, do they confess Jesus Christ as the, their Savior? Well, they may pay lip service, but does their faith, does the way their life look, does it live out that test? Does it show that they really believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Don't believe every spirit, John tells us. Because there is an oppos- a spirit in opposition, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of the world, the spirit, the spirit that dwells in the children of the devil. Remember, we've talked about that in John. You have the children of God and the children of, of the devil. And that spirit denies Christ, so there's a challenge here for you and I to start testing the spirits, to start being wise in what we involve ourselves in, who we involve ourselves with, who we, who we uh, partner up with, so to speak. And, and I think we need to, to take great heed with this. You know, all I don't know about you, but I can be convinced to do bad things all by myself. I don't even need help with that. I, I, <laughs> I can just convince myself to do really dumb stuff that'll hurt me. Uh, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, we, we. I blame it that I'm, I'm a guy, but I don't know if it is. I remember one Fourth of July, I decided uh, I had to light this bottle rocket thing up on up higher, so I, I put it up on this basketball court, and because you know the thing about fireworks is the higher you get them, the better they are, right? I mean, it's just, I don't know why we think that, but we do, or at least I do. So, I lit this thing and it falls over. I'm like, ah, I'm trying to get it back up, and, and then it falls to the ground. I'm like, oh no. Because I was afraid it was going to fire off to somebody. So, I'm running down the ladder, and all of a sudden, it fires up the back of my board shorts. And uh, it goes, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and so, I don't know what to do, and it's burning. And all of a sudden, it blows up. Boof. <laughs> Smoke is billowing out of the bottoms of my board shorts. I'm like, ah. I'm running around trying to get my bottom inside of a bucket of water. But it's too big. I don't have my mother's hips. They're totally my own. And, and I couldn't get it in. And everybody's laughing at me, which was, uh, you know, I understand that. So I run next door to the pool and jump in it. And it's like, ah, so good. And then, of course, everybody afterwards, you know, everybody's dying and laughing, and then they go, Man, that was really dangerous and dumb. <laughs> it's like, Whatever, I was your entertainment. I love it when people do that. You're like, you're hurt, but that was dumb. <laughs> so, anyway, but I can convince myself to do dumb stuff all by myself. Even more so, I can convince myself, I, or I can become convinced by others. Listen, I, I want to ask you, how much time do you hang out with the Lord? Think about that for a minute. How much time do you hang out with other people? How much time do you hang out with the TV or reality TV or media programs or Fox News, whatever it is? How much time do you hang out with those things? And do you test the spirits? Do you test the advice that's coming at you? Listen, Christians aren't supposed to retreat from the world. We know that. We're supposed to be here we're supposed to be letting our light shines. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel with others. But we're definitely not supposed to be adopting the worldview and philosophies of this world. And in Ephesus, they were starting to do it. And so John challenges them on testing the spirits. Is this of God? You know what? They may sound like they're from God. They may even sound like brothers and sisters in the Lord. But what they're saying is wrong. Test the spirits. Mark Driscoll, when he first started teaching at Mars Hill Church, and maybe some of you have heard him, he's big church. He's recently been in the news because uh, of some issues. He's stepped down from the pastor for a time to be under review. But when he first started teaching, he was known as the cussing pastor. And, um, and he, he, would, he would often use some foul language, and, and it was very attractive to men and stuff. Well, he doesn't say it was okay, he, he actually regrets doing it and whatnot. But listen, when you see a pastor or a figurehead start living a certain way, you're inclined to think, well, it's okay. Then I can do it. But what does the scripture say? Put aside all foul language or obscene talk, Colossians says. We're not to be like the rest of the world. You're to be set apart. A living sacrifice. Problem with living sacrifices is we can get off the altar, can't we? We want to stay on that altar. Right there, laid out before God. God, I'm your vessel. You use me. Test the spirits. So the first test is that who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord? Paul says that no one can make this confession except by the Spirit of God. No one can make the confession that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. So that's one of the tests too. You know, do they really believe that Jesus is Lord? And we're not just talking about lip service. We're talking about life service. We're talking about how they live their life, the things that they do, how they submit to the Lord. I'm not, I'm not saying you're looking for someone perfect. You're not looking for whether or not they can walk on water. But you're looking to see if the Lord Jesus is really Lord or whether they're their own Lord, whether they're, they're going to do their own thing. Paul goes on to say that every spirit, he he goes on to give us the converse every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Don't be deceived. There is a spirit of Antichrist. He is coming and it's already in the world. Now, as far as the person of the Antichrist, we wait to see him. We're coming towards that end. We're not there yet, but but John warns them. I think I said Paul by accident. John warns them to look out for that spirit. Look out for that denial of Jesus. Do you know people that deny Jesus? Yeah, I bet you do. I bet you even know people that say they're Christians that deny Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. That's more figurative. And I want you to realize that is the spirit of Antichrist, denying God's power, denying his son, denying that that salvation is by Jesus alone. Listen, when the Mormons come up to your door, what do they say? Oh, we believe in Jesus. We're just like you. No, you're not. I actually have a a heart for Mormons. I love talking to them. I love hanging out with them and talking to them because I, I really believe that they don't know who Jesus is. Their Jesus is a very different Jesus, but they deny him as God. They have the spirit of Antichrist. Don't be deceived. Verse 4: Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. This is one of the ways you can know whether it's the spirit of Antichrist or from the world, is how they speak, who they listen to. Is the authority the Word of God, or is it themselves, or their friend, or their guru, or Oprah, or Bill O'Reilly? You know, I'm, I'm not saying that Bill O'Reilly is not a Christian, but I, I'm just saying that who is their authority? Who are they listening to most? Be careful test the spirits know that those who are from the world are going to listen to the world it's so attractive to buy into the world philosophy and here's why you fit right in you you look the same as everybody else but but to stand up for Christ to live for Christ is much harder and it's getting even harder especially for you who are young Because when it comes to certain subjects, sex before marriage or outside of marriage, you look like a prude. You're not getting in line with everybody else. Partying. The issue of homosexuality and gay marriage. What do you look like to the world? Maybe you look like a bigot. It's so easy to want to fit right in with everybody else. It's so attractive. But we need to not do that. We need to trust the Lord and his word. The spirit who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I really wish Christians, young Christians especially, would have a little more faith in God. You know, it's it's so interesting when they deal with tough issues, how they deal with it because they're afraid of their friends. They're afraid to put their faith in God. They're afraid to take a stand. And they begin to start saying, well, I'm just gonna go with the love. I'm just gonna say, well, I I love them, so it's cool whatever they do. Which isn't love at all. (laughs) All I know is if my parents loved me that way, I I would've been dead by now. Young young people, and, and I guess old people alike, have the challenge of whether or not they're going to trust God and stand up in faith. And one of those challenges is, how do you deal with gay marriage? You know, ooh, a gay marriage, ooh, it's going to get dicey in here. What? You know? Well, I'm serious. How do we deal with it? Well, we, we, if we take the, the Bible route, this is what people say is the Bible route, You're evil. And then that's it, and then everybody's going to hate me. But I I love my friend. I don't think they're evil, so I'm not sure what to do. What about just loving your friend and telling them the truth? I love you. No, God doesn't approve of that lifestyle, but I love you. Because all of a sudden something happens. They don't know what to do with you. Wait a minute, you love me, you're willing to be my friend, but you don't approve my lifestyle. This is weird. Well, I don't approve of people who are drug addicts, their lifestyle. I don't approve of the lifestyle of murderers, but I can still love them. I can still be kind to them. I'll still share the gospel with them. I don't approve of adulterers. I don't approve of lots of things. I don't approve of the lifestyle, but I love the people. Because you know why? Because Jesus told me to. Jesus says, what good is it for you that you love those who love you? You're just like everybody else. But here's what I'm telling you. Love those who are your enemies. Love your enemies as yourself. Love those who persecute you. Love those who hate you. That's the Christian's higher call. And you know what? It gets gets dicey. It gets hard. Because they're going to hate you, and you're like, oh, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. But I don't really want to. But you know what? I've been amazed at the conversations I have with people who completely disagree with my Christian worldview. But yet they always want to talk to me and find out what my viewpoint is on something that's happening. Because I love them. And I would challenge you to have that same faith, knowing that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And like Richard talked about in his testimony, he decided to be faithful, to do what God says. God, you said, you'll give me the words to say when I'm in this situation. And he trusted the Lord, and he went out and he said, all right, (laughs) here it is. And he ended up being blessed by God. Putting yourself in God's as God's vessel will always end better for you. Yeah, maybe not necessarily in this life, but definitely in the life to come. We are from God, verse 6. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Uh, one of the tests. Well, it's really funny, being a pastor, you have to, like there's really cool stuff that you get to do, like hanging out with people, Uh, obviously potlucks are great, you know, Uh, (laughs) so (laughs) preaching the gospel and stuff, you know, that's all good stuff. But then there's some really bad stuff you got to deal with, like correction, confrontation, guarding the flock, all that stuff that you really don't want to do, but you got to, because you're called to do it, and you know you have to. And I'll I'll never forget like uh, some of the stuff I have to do. It's just I mean part of it is that's my job. But Rado called me up and say, Hey, I want you to go talk to these people about this subject. I'm like, Uh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you want me? What if I found somebody else? No, I want you to do it. Okay. So uh, you have to call people up and talk to them about tough issues and confront them on things. And it's so weird. Because you almost get amazed when they act as a Christian does and they go, you're right, I've been in sin. I need to repent. Thank you so much for correcting that. You're like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) You're just expecting to have people be angry at you and never want to talk to you again and go, okay. But that's how we know who is from God. Whoever listens to us is from God. Because they're listening to the Spirit of God. When they're they're laying their life before the Word of God and say, All right, Lord, search me and know me. Is this from you? Is this action? Is my attitude right before you? Tell me. Hey, Pastor so and so came up to me, challenged me on how I'm living, spoke into my life. I didn't like it, it didn't feel good because I'd love to be called perfect. But God, was He right? I do that even when people come up and give me a criticism. I pray about, Lord, I didn't like the criticism. In fact, I thought it was kind of hurtful and mean. But, Lord, were they right? (laughs) You know what? Sometimes God says, absolutely. All right, Lord, I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to turn. Ask for your forgiveness. Forgive me for letting my tongue get away. Forgive me for saying something stupid or doing this. Because I want to be his vessel. I'm an overcomer. That's what God says. We've overcome. I just want to spend the last few minutes talking about that word overcome. The word is Nikon in the Greek. And it's in the perfect tense. And we've talked a little bit about the perfect tense before in the Greek. The perfect tense is so cool. Because it's saying that this is finished. You're, you've overcome. You've overcome. Do you see that in verse 4? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So John is saying that this is already finished. You've already overcome. Even if you don't feel like you've overcome, just by being in Jesus Christ, you have overcome. You are a conqueror. That's what that word is. To conquer, to overcome, to win out. And so, in the perfect tense, it's saying that this is finished, it's already done, but there's this ongoing benefit in your life from it. Well, what does that look like? Well, I don't know if you remember, but, but Jesus said something right before he ascended into heaven, and he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Anybody know it? I have overcome the world. Jesus did it. He overcame. He is our overcomer, our conqueror, our champion. And because he has overcome, we too who are in him have overcome. Remember earlier in 1 John, in chapter 2, verse 14, John speaks to the young men and he says, you have overcome the evil one by the word of the Lord. So this whole idea that We've overcome. Sin is done. It's been conquered. Yet sometimes we still feel like we struggle with it. But it's overcome. It's finished. All you need to do is submit to the Lord and continue submitting. Don't go back into it and act like a slave again. What are you, crazy? Don't do that. Follow God. He's your victory. He's your victor. He's given you the victory. You are an overcomer. You have the spirit of truth in you. God has given him to you. Start listening. Maybe you need to turn off some of the TV shows you watch because you're adopting the worldview. Maybe you're convincing yourself that certain things are okay that there aren't. Start listening to the spirit of truth. Don't grieve the spirit of God. Now, what about those of you in here that don't have the spirit of God? What about those of you who are enemies of God? Well, that's okay. Jesus Christ can be your overcomer too. That's the wonderful thing about the gospel message is it's for you. It's for everyone in this room that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross for your sins. And you can be an overcomer too. You can be victorious. You can be set free from your sin. I prayed with a man not too long ago who has just pretty much brought his life into the toilet. I'm thinking of a better word to say this, and I can't think of a better word. He's a wreck. He has been doing drugs. He's been suicidal, crazy. Everything he's turning to is ruining his life more. This man at one point in time worked with me in youth ministry Years and years ago, I love him so much. And it's hurt me over the years, every time I see him, to see how he's beating himself over and over and over again. How he's grieving the Holy Spirit and turning into his own sin. He came and met with me. And I don't know if he he may be in the back. He's supposed to come tonight. We'll see if he, he does. But he came and met with me. And he said, I can't take this anymore. I hear all these voices in my head. I'm, I'm schizophrenic. I'm ruining myself. I want to die, I, but at the same time, I know about, I, I don't have, I can't visit my children without somebody watching me. I've lost everything. I need, I need something, I need someone to pray for me. I told him, you know what? You're on your own. That's not a very loving thing to say, is it? But what I meant was that I can pray for you. I I can say, Lord, save this man. But in the end, it's going to come to him making a decision. It's going to come to him saying, Lord, I've had enough. I need you. I need you to come and rescue me. I need your victory in my life. And so I... I told him that I'll pray with you, but I'm not going to say the words. You've got to pray. We bowed our heads. There was silence, nothing. Then he said, I can't do it. I'm a drug addict. An alcoholic? I feel like I'd be lying. And I was like, you know what? You are a liar. You're a jerk. You're a thief. You're a brawler. You are a drug addict. You are an alcoholic. You are the lowest of low people. He's like, I know. But guess what? Jesus came for just such as you. So you can quit playing games and start asking God to save you. I couldn't believe it. He just surrendered. He just gave his life up and said, Lord, I'm a wreck. I need you. He proceeded to pray a prayer. Then I prayed for him. And... Uh, I'm not saying he was healed on the spot. I know he's still struggling. I know even today when I talked to him earlier, he's struggling. But one thing I prayed that I was amazed at, I, God put it upon my heart to rebuke the spirits that were harassing him. And I couldn't believe the wind that came through my office. It was amazing. I've never felt that before. I know it sounds crazy, But there are spirits in this world that we make ourselves slaves to. And it's only in Jesus Christ that we have victory. And if you're a slave tonight, I want to encourage you to give your life over to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are our life-giving Savior, God. You have provided for us life Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying on that cross for us. Lord, you paid our penalty. You justified us, Lord. You cleansed us. You make us new. You set the captives free, Lord. We thank you for that. If there's anyone in this room tonight that has been a slave to sin, I want to ask you to pray. I don't want to tell you how right now. I just want you to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that we have victory in you. I'm ready to follow, Lord. I'm ready to be your vessel. Help me to die to myself. We thank you and we ask you now to bless our time in worship and communion as we move forward in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.